This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. All right, brothers and sisters, it is great to get together to continue to wrestle the scriptures. We're up to um, De- uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2. Finally got through chapter 1. Um, and before we go over our recap, and before we tackle uh, some of the issues that are in chapter 2, uh, we should pray. Can I have a volunteer who would pray for us? Abba, we thank you so much. We thank you for the privilege to be in your city and being able to, to hear your word um, through a gifted teacher. And I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that is available to us. So I pray that we will open our ears and our hearts to hear what you are about to teach us tonight. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we find ourselves on the plains of Moab uh, with Moses standing before the Israelites, a mixed multitude of both Jews and Gentiles, all of them uncircumcised at this stage, which is a bizarre thought. And, uh, and he's giving his longest monologue ever. And so, last, year, last week's reading finished off chapter 1, in which we found that Moses was admonishing the Israelites in their unwillingness and rebellion against the command to invade the land of Canaan. Despite all that God had done for them during the Exodus, despite the witness of miracles and manna, and even his presence in the Mishkan, the Israelites conclude that because of giants and powerful fortifications, the Lord actually hates them. Right? They had seen all these fat, wonderful things. They sent their spies in, and the spies' results is they're huge, and they've got massive fortifications. Obviously, the Lord hates us. What does this comment about us and our own hopes and dreams and trust in God for the future I'm 100% sure that everyone here could give me a fantastic testimony and witness about what God has done for them, yes? I pretty much doubt that there are many people who are actually believers in God without Him actually doing anything for them. Seriously. You go, hey, why are you a believer in Jesus? And they go, don't know, had nothing else to do on Sunday. (laughs) Rarely have I ever heard that. Usually it's because they explain to me something that happened in their life, something incredibly powerful, something incredibly wonderful, something incredibly uh, supernatural. And they're captivated by this God. And yet, tomorrow, they doubt, they complain, they don't think that God cares for them, even though they know that he did in the past, and they'll happily tell everybody that that's what happened. Uh, And the Israelites do exactly the same thing. Okay, so there by the grace of God go you and I. But it is interesting that this, that they had seen a miracle, and just because they had seen a miracle meant absolutely nothing when coming to the facing the future. So Moses reminds them of God's care by describing him as a man who carries a son. And this theological paradigm produces commentaries in the Second Temple period that begin to call God Father, giving rise to Jewish prayers that begin Our Father like the Amidah and the Lord's Prayer. Moses also declares that God will fight for Israel. This he has already done against Amalek in Exodus 17, and in Egypt with the plagues against the Egyptian gods and the drowning of Pharaoh's army. Yet the people grumble, causing the Lord to take an oath. 
we note that God also swears and takes oaths. There is a difference between the notion of let your yes be yes and the making of vows. For example, we all still make marriage vows, do we not? Yes. Even though Jesus said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. But no one that I'm aware of stands up with somebody and says, this is my wife. Yes. And that's it. Right? No, we don't. We have a ceremony. We have a series of promises. We make vows okay, in front of God. And we call that a good thing. So there is a difference between making a vow or an oath and letting your yes be yes. Okay? Because even God himself takes vows. And here we see one of his first ones where he takes an oath. While we don't quite understand all the metaphysics of God and his presence in the pillar of fire and cloud, Moses does remind us that God himself led the people, searched places for the camp to settle, and located pastures. God calls the land that he is guiding them to a good land. So what's so good about it? Surrounded by enemies, with an abundance of rock, lacking in resources, populated by giants, and holding very little water. Yet, as God says, it's a good land. So we had a discussion then on what we thought made it so good. Good is actually a personal adjective. What is good to one may not be good to another. But God calls this land good. Others may not. But that certainly will not change God's mind. Because of the rebellion, the only people to enter the promised land will be Joshua and Caleb. The reason they have permission to enter is their wholeheartedness in following God. The heart issue will become a central theme of Moses and his commentary on the Torah. Because that's actually what Deuteronomy is. How many t books are there in the Torah? Four. Four. And what's the fifth one? Commentary. It's a commentary. I mean, we, it's very interesting to see what Moses is doing with it. Particularly when he starts to bring out the nature of the heart. Ritual observance, order and laws are one thing, and they are good things. Not saying they're bad. But the heart attitude of the individual remains the central element in obedience and in a relationship to God. In this retelling of the Israelite journey in rebellion, Moses misses a lot of detail that appears in Numbers 20. He puts the blame on his personal exclusion from the land on them, on the Israelites. However, in Numbers, God says Moses was at fault. Why retell the story in this way? I am not sure yet. But I trust that as we continue our study, it will become clearer. In verse 38, Moses defines the land as an inheritance. What's so strong about a claim of inheritance? An inheritance is not something you earn. You are given it through membership in a family. As Jesus says in the Beatitudes, the meek inherit the earth. Verse 39 also describes the biblical concept of knowing good from evil which is age-dependent, as opposed to the concept of original sin. So we had a discussion on the Jewish view of the evil inclination. For those that don't know what that is, there's this thing called the Yatsahavah, uh, the evil inclination, and there's also the Yatsahavah Tov, the good inclination. And this is a part of every human, which when you have to make a decision, do we do something good or do something evil? Original sin is something else. Because okay? God says that the people who can enter the land are the ones that don't yet know good from evil. But if we're all covered with original sin, 
What's that to do with all evil? So there are two things that track simultaneously together. Israel is, is commanded to abandon the invasion due to their rebellion. Right? God says, no, you can't go in. You're, you're, you're done. Turn around and go back. However, the people repent and they actually admit their sinfulness. They then proceed to prepare for war. See this passum parad bellum. If you want peace, prepare for war. In Numbers 14, they go up against Amalek. In Deuteronomy, the enemy is the Amorite. So they prepare for war, they repent, and they begin the invasion. Even though God had said no, they now start to do what he had previously told them to do. And they fail dismally. Either way, whether it's Amalek or whether it's Amorite, they are defeated in battle, and they begin to wander, they begin the wandering in the wilderness. Sometimes, though not always, the timing of God for us to do his will is actually limited. Note that despite the rebellion and the abject failure against the Amorites, God still supplies manna the very next day. The pillar of cloud continues to guide, and the clothes do not wear out. His love endures forever. So even though they fail, the very next day, they still get manna. And that says something about God. So now we continue the wandering. And our wandering is in, uh, starts in chapter 2. So uh, I'll begin. What's the Mishkan? Uh, sorry, Tabernacle. So that's the, uh, the, 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 the building, construction, where God lives inside. And, uh, and the cloud that was in the front was visible. So that the people could know, well, our God is living in, in amongst us. So even though they've got that they still can turn around and say, oh, he hates us. Which is, anyway, but there by the grace of God go you and I. Right? So it's something to learn. Um, but it's also a good thing about God that despite the, that kind of failing, they're still going to go out tomorrow and pick up manna. He doesn't turn around and go, okay, well, that's it. You get nothing. I'm punishing you for six weeks. No food. He actually, his, his love continues, which is really nice. It's a nice thought. Okay, so the wandering in the wilderness. Uh, chapter 2. Then we turned back and set out toward the wilderness, along the route to the Dead Sea, as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have gone around this hill country long enough, turn to the north. And command the people, you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Do not contend with them, but I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the soul of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You are to pay them the silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Sarah, away from the road of the plain, away from uh, Elat uh, and uh, Ezor and Eber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness uh, of Moab. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, 
for I will not give you any part of their land I have given after the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Emeen formerly lived there, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakites, they too were considered Rephites, but the Moabites called them Emites. Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. They destroyed the Horites from before them and settled in their place, just as Israel did in the land the Lord gave them as their possession. Now rise and cross over the valley of the Zedid. So we crossed over the valley of the Zedid. In the time that we spent in going from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the brook Zedid was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp as Jehovah had sworn to them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. So it was when all the men of war had finally per perished from among the people. Oh, here's my line. The Lord said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Today you are to cross the border of Moab to Ar. When you come opposite the sons of Ammon, do not harass or provoke them, for I will not give you any of the land of the sons of Ammon for a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. It is also counted as a land of Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Amorites, Ammonites, call them Samsunim. A people great and many, and taller as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites, yep. and they dispossessed them and settled in their place. The Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau, who lived in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They drove them out and have lived in their place to this day. As for the Avim, who lived in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphtarim, who came from Kaphtor, destroyed them and settled in their place. Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given you into the uh, given into your hands Shion, Sion, uh, the Amorite king of and uh, his land, uh, begin to possess it and enter, uh, engage him in battle. This very day I will begin to put terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Then I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kelimah to Simon the king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right nor to the left. Sell us food to eat and wine to drink for their price in silver. Only let us pass through on foot. As the descendants of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Er, did for us until we crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, king of Cheshbon, would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand, as it is this day. And Jehovah said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his land up before you. Begin to 
processed uh, process it that you may occupy his this land, his land. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, the sons and all his people. And at that time, we took all his stuff, all his towns, and completely destroyed them, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. Only the livestock we took as spoil for ourselves, with the plunder of the cities that we captured. From Aroya, which is on the edge of the Wadi Arnon, in a city by the Wadi, all the way to the, to the Gilead, there was not a town too high for us. Adonai our God gave everything over to us. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon, we did not draw near, that is, to all the banks of the river, Jabal, and the cities of the hill country, whatever the Lord our God had forgiven us. All right, okay, so there's our next little bit of uh, history that Moses is uh, retelling. Is there anything there that stands out for you on an initial reading? I've forgotten how much it mentioned about the, the giants, how they were giants and how they got previously picked up. It was a lot of giants, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, what stood out to me was how many times it says that God gave or did not give. Hmm. You know, I, verse 5, he says, I will not give you any land. And verse 5, I have given you some. Uh, just on and on, verse 9, I will not give you any part. Uh, I have given heir to the descendants. The land the Lord, verse 12, the land the Lord gave them as their possession. Just goes all the way through here. Verse 19, twice, I will not give you possession. Yep. I have given it. And then when you add all of the other things that God did, he drove, he said, he whatever, it's his action, you kind of get the idea that he's the main... The main movie. protagonist of this yes. story, yeah, this chapter. Yeah. Anything else there that... I don't know about all this grace, mercy, or whatever, that he said that he will uh, don't touch the sled because he gave to Lord's sons. Yeah. I mean, because he had three sons of his daughter, it's mean. Yeah. Adultery, but he's still on the walk. I don't know. It's really. I, yeah, I, when I read it, I came. My initial surface reading, I was thinking, wow, God. Because you, you often re think in the Bible, just the promised land. Okay, the Jews get Israel. Mm -hmm. But actually, a lot of other people get land too. And God says, no, I've given this land to these people. And I've given this land to these people. And you're not touching it. And I'm giving this land to these people. You think. Okay, so God seems to also um, take other nations and say, you get this bit, you get this bit, and I'm looking after you. How, what sort of relationship he is having with those people is not mentioned here. Like, we get no mention of the relationship he has with Moab. Um, we have no clue. But he definitely decided this bit goes to them, and Israel is not allowed to take it, which is interesting. And they have to pay for food and water. Yes, that was the other one. It's like, well, what about would... the manna? Yes, I know. Like, yeah. yeah. Were they not receiving the manna then? Yeah. No. I mean, the manna stops when they cross the Jordan. So presumably, there must still have been the manna available to them. Correct. 
And what else is, according to the tradition, where's the water coming from? We talked about it last week, remember? Yes. From the rolling rock. So what do you have to buy it from? Mm-hmm. Anyone want to go to the rock? No, I'm sick of going to the rock. I want to go buy it from that guy. What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul mentions in his speech in Athens that God set these boundaries so that people would seek him. He did it for people's benefit so that they would actually right. know him. Yes, yeah, he used to, uh, and other verses in other, I think in some of the prophetic books, he talks about every nation has a boundary that is set, set by God. So, which is, and yet, what do we do as humans? We try and get rid of those boundaries, usually to our chagrin. Um, all right. Okay, well, let's have a closer little look at the text and see what we can learn about ourselves and character of God and or uh, what Moses is trying to do in his retelling of history, which he leaves stuff out. Um, okay. Just as a question, in his retelling of the event, and I'm not going to unless you all know um, uh, your Bible's back to front, which is, might be good. When they leave Kadesh Barnea and they go in and fight uh, uh, Sihon of Heshbon, uh, there's another character, very colourful character, that appears, but he's not mentioned here. Og. Og is mentioned in chapter 3. Another colourful character who only appears in Numbers. Yeah. In Moses' retelling of this story, he's going to completely miss out three chapters of, of Numbers with uh, that character. You go, hmm, why does he do this? Now, I believe there's a reason. I believe he's very smart, just like he's beginning to talk about the being of whole heart, uh, as a, which you don't find much commentary like that in the Torah, but you do in Deuteronomy. Um, he misses something out again here in his retelling. So let's have a little look and see why. Okay, so we've got the wanderings in the wilderness. And uh, they start and they turn south towards the Red Sea. And then they're going to swing north. They're going to cross over into what we would today call Saudi Arabia. And then begin to head north into uh, what we today call Jordan. And they encounter... Who do they encounter? Family. Right, they begin to encounter... uh, yeah, Esau and his descendants, which is their cousins. And they also encounter the uh, Moabites and things, which are cousins. And we're encountering family. And um, the descendants of Esau uh, in later on produce Edom. And uh, who's our famous Edomite, which we know? Herod. Yes, okay, we produce Herod. Herod, uh, who ends up then standing before Jesus, you know, eventually when you trace the lineage back, they're, they're cousins. Long, many times removed. Okay. So, Israel is not a conquering army and is not allowed to take certain possessions, except the land that is allotted to. However, having said that, what do they end up doing in this chapter? 
Like, like they, they, as they wander, God will say, now don't go here. Leave this land alone. Your land's the promised land. You can buy. We can buy. Yep. What do they end up actually, at, in, at right at the end of that chapter, doing to Sihon? Defeating him and taking his stuff, including taking possession of his land. Even though it's on the other side of the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Right? They're going to take Sihon and they're going to take Og and it's going to say, we take his land. Hmm. Interesting. But for, the, for everybody else, they, they do not. Okay. So what does God do his best to do? Remember? Pillar of cloud, fire by night. He's guiding and taking his people. What's God trying to do for Israel? Where's God taking them? Or trying to avoid? Trying to avoid running into people. Like God doesn't say, okay, I was uh, guiding by in my little pillar of fire and dang it, I ran into a whole city. I guess you'll have to destroy it. Just plow on through. He does his best to actually skirt mountains, uh, uh, don't go through that borderland. Uh, he's trying to keep the people away from other people. Okay. Now, why do you think he would do that? Because people can afraid of him because it's a huge amount of people coming. God wants them to be afraid of Israel. It's in this, in this chapter that does he not say that verse, I'm going to start making you a terror to everybody else. Everybody else is going to go, oh my gosh, the Israelites are coming. What are they going to do? Try and attack me, or maybe not. I don't know. So. <laughs> it seems to me that the king just like a prison to these people for training. And uh, they are kept there without any choice. They have no alternative to return to Egypt. Everybody has to continue to follow everybody, all the camp. Go forward. The wandering has become the daily life. So what are they doing there? The invisible God speaking through every day. But God is there. God is right there. And they can see him. But how how do you know he is God? Because he provides. He provides the food and everything. Mm -hmm. And the pillars and the clouds show them. This is the presence of God. To me, so awesome. How can we feel God through seeing these things? It's an interesting thought. Yes, it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, God keeps these people wandering until a certain generation die off. Mm -hmm. So, He's got a plan for it. So, like in verse 2, God says, You've made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. And so they start leaving Saudi Arabia and start heading in towards what we today call Jordan. And uh, then... In verse uh, 3, so verse 4, give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, your brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you. But be very, very careful. So um, in Genesis, as, as part of sacred history to the Jewish people, what do they have a memory of in terms of Jacob and Esau? Disagreements. Oh, definitely some disagreements, yes. <laughs> and a reconciliation. Yeah. And a reconciliation, yeah. 
And because uh, Jacob, when he was coming to meet Esau, who was the one who was afraid last time? Jacob. Hmm. And who's afraid this time? Esau. Hmm. And but in the previous one, it was there. Was, there was a reconciliation, and embracing, and a weeping, and what what could have been been come bad. Right? They both had their armies. Esau came with his soldiers. Jacob had divided his camp, so he had some soldiers. Could have all gone bad. But uh, instead it was quite beautiful. Uh, here, it's, something's changed. Now, now actually Esau hasn't prospered as much as uh, Jacob has. Uh, and Jacob actually is uh, probably more powerful than they are perhaps willing to admit or even know themselves. But... Uh, God alerts them that uh, Esau is going to be afraid of you. So be careful because they might do something. They might gang up, they might uh, do a surprise attack, they might do raids, might poison your water. Just be careful. Um, don't provoke them to war. And he then, God says this very interesting phrase, because I'm not going to give you any of their land, not even uh, enough to put your foot on. Why not? Because I've given that to Esau. Right. So this is... We have no idea what God has been doing with Esau, how he's been dealing with those people, other than this section to say that God has portioned out some, some territory for him. And, uh, and then you get that in verse 6, that interesting verse. You are to pay for them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink. You go, okay. <laughs> Begs the question then, what about all these cows we've got? You know, what about all these, these goats that we've got for these sacrifices that we perpetually use? Or are we only using them for that? Or are we not even doing them anymore? Um, uh, and, and if we are uh, maintaining our water supply from this magical rock, or the other tradition was it was Miriam, then why do we need to purchase water from these guys? Uh, be that as it may, it seems that Israel also purchased food from the neighbors where they went. Maybe it was just to um, <coughs> stimulate the local economy as well. Maybe so they can be Friends. Yeah, yeah, into the... Into the yeah. nothing, <laughs> like, nothing like making the shopkeeper feel good when you buy his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, I might say something. I think there's a good application here too for us today. Um, I think religiously, sometimes religious groups provoke another Christian religious group to war when they really shouldn't. We shouldn't be. We should be on the same team, and, we, and we're really not setting a good example to, you know, the world. That's when you fight with yourselves. Obviously, you're the biggest enemy. So. Uh, yep, I agree. I think uh, uh, the the Christian church, and that it, I mean by that I mean the universal one with all the different denominations. Uh, we fight each other more than we probably should. It's okay to discuss things. And sure. if you discuss things, that's okay. But when it, sometimes I think, I know sometimes people try to provoke other denominations into war, basically. Yes. Yeah. And it creates some very uncomfortable conversations, I think, when you've got friends on both sides. Like I've got friends who are Catholics. Yes. And I've got some friends who are ex-Catholics, and they are definitely anti-Catholic now. <laughs> and, you know, you're having a dinner, dinner party, and they just start ha at each other. And you think, yep, I'm so glad I'm here. You know, I'm so glad I'm part of the body of the Messiah that's acting like the body of the Messiah. We really should stop that. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Yeah.
Okay, so we have to buy and sell, or buy their water without silver. Um, why they would need to do that, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was also to not rub it in their faces, you know, well, you've got this land and you're, you're, you're just here, but our God supplies us with water and manna. Could do. Um, yeah. Could be using as a good teaching moment. Hey, how you doing? You saw I haven't seen you for a very long time. Let me tell you what God's been doing with us recently. Um, it's also a good learning opportunity. How do you relate to the weaker brother? You know, how do you treat the weaker member of your society? Um, always pay for lunch. Always pay. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I'm learning something, Lord. <laughs> learning to pay my share. I can't remember where I heard it, but I do. I do. I remember being in my first degree in, in Australia, where uh, our professor, who was secular, did say you can uh, judge a society by the way it treats its weakest members, and uh, um, and if 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 a society only ever ever treats its its weakest members as rubbish and 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 crap, then that's a bad society doomed to fail. And uh, here, you have a very powerful brother encountering a weaker brother, and they don't attack which is a good thing. They do engage in commerce. Maybe there is some dialogue and they can get to share. Aaron can go and talk to their priests and, and a witness. Maybe even invite them into the tabernacle for some worship. Hey, come and watch us as we worship. Maybe you'd like to join in. Who knows? But uh, it's, it's, it's a, they do listen to God and they don't attack. So Moses informs the people in verse 7, the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. So he breaks away from a retelling of history, leaps into the modern period to remind this camp that is on the plains of Moab, whom we have not invaded, um, that God has been with you and, uh, and has blessed you and you've actually lacked nothing. Um, they're wandering around in tents. Uh, they're eating heavenly food and their main source of drinking uh, material is water. And yet, we are told, they lack nothing. nothing. So what has God not given them? Stone houses... They don't have condos, they don't have lots of chariots, they don't have Mercedes Benzes, they don't have big screen TVs. But God says, you lack nothing. But they have his very presence. Oh, yes, that's also very good. Yes, yeah. they, lack, they have his presence. But the lesson is, when we, we live in a material culture. And our material culture and all our advertising constantly tells us what? You lack something. Yeah. Right? It constantly says, you don't have this big screen TV. You really need to buy it. You really need to upgrade your phone. You've got a terrible old phone. Mm. You, know? you, you need to do this. And you've, you've just got to wear this scarf. And you've got to brush your teeth with this toothpaste. You know? <laughs> and, um, and yet, look at what Israel's got. And God says, oh, but you've lacked nothing. You've got me. You've got food. You've got water. Your clothes are no way. What else do you need? And yeah, it is true. But yet, we, we all fall victim. I do it. We all do it. I'm, I'm sure we all are victims of our material culture. Sometimes thinking we lack something. When actually, in reality, we don't. 
Do we not have the presence of God in this room? Yes. Is the presence of God in you right now? Yes. Oh, man, we lack nothing. Isn't that a good thing? Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So now he's done his little bit about modern. Moses leaps back into the past again. Let's so, say also they had an inheritance. So they had a hope. They had a future. Oh, yes, that's right. The land is going to be an inheritance. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so also a good thing. It's not just the present, but they've got a really big future ahead of them. Yes. And they had his promise that he said, you know, he's, he says, uh, he's been with you, but he says in, uh, throughout this book, I will never forsake you. Remember the writer of Hebrews quotes that verse yes, he does. from Deuteronomy. Yeah. He says, if you keep yourself free from the love of money, um, God has said, I will never. By the way, there's five negatives and nine words in the Greek. Never, 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 <laughs> never, never forsake you. It's one of the strongest statements in the Bible. Is that right? Yeah. Ooh, five, nine words, five are negatives. Mm-hmm. What is it? Hebrews what? Hebrews uh, 13, 6, I think. Yeah. Good one. Thanks. Yep. And the hope of the inheritance, which we also have. We have a hope. Do we not? Yes. So, uh, verse 8. So now we go back into the rereading of history. So we went past our relatives or our brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And we turned from the Arava, which comes from the Elat, Etzion Gever, and traveled through the desert road of Moab. Okay, and uh, uh, who, who's a famous Moabite? Ruth. Ruth. So aren't we glad we don't wipe Moab out at this stage? Okay. So, and we have no idea how God's been dealing with these people, but he has been apportioning them some land. Okay. Uh, then the Lord said, Do not harass the Moab, the Moabim, and do not provoke them for war, for I will not give you any of their territory either. So I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So whereabouts is all this occurring? This is occurring in present day? Jordan. Jordan. Okay. We have to remember that most of the people who are currently living in the Middle East are not the original inhabitants. Okay? We have all moved in. in. Even in this verse, they're all wiping other people out who are already there. Okay? Um, most of the Jordanians, the Hashemites anyway, uh, originally came from? Saudi. Saudis. Yes, yeah, correct. The Hijaz. The Hijaz, that's correct. And we've also got a large proportion of Palestinians yes. living in Jordan, okay? which are also a homog- not a homogenous group. They come from all kinds of different groups. But we're talking about a land, talking about a bunch of people who are not there uh, anymore. Uh, but God had given them this, this land. Uh, and just as Israel had been removed from the land, many of these other nations had also disappeared. Aaron, just say about the derivation of the word Arab. Arab. Arava? Yes. <laughs> okay. So uh, the Arava here is um, in Hebrew means? Dry land. Uh, yeah, Negev, that Negev is dry. Arav in Hebrew means desert area. Again, yes. It has nothing to do with the blood. No. Regional. Right. So in the beginning of, of creation, and we have. Yeah, yeah, Rega. Sure. That's the geography, but now we're going to talk about the where the Hebrew word comes from. So, Hebrew speakers. Who Who's here as a Hebrew speaker? There's a few of us. Okay. Arava. Uh, <laughs> what are some of the other words we get from the same Shorish? Arav. Arav, which is Arab. Okay. 
All right. Um, in mo in the in Genesis, you have morning, Boker, and you have evening, Lila. That's night, yeah. And there's something in the in between. What's the in between between Erev? Yeah. And and where do you find the Arava? It's actually in between. It's in between. It's not the desert. That's another word entirely. Okay. It's there's still water there. There's still the ability to live, and that's where people live. No one actually lives on sand. You actually live next to water sources, springs, oases. Where do the Arabs live, the Aravim, they live in the in between, the Arava. They live on that. The, it's the, only from Sina. The Arav, Arav, only in Sina you can enjoy the land and with the water. And they are the happy Arab. <laughs> the happy Arab. Yeah. Yeah, many Arabs are happy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, it's there. Most most Arabs will live next to water sources, okay, and they live in between, in between, constantly moving in between, um, and uh, and so they're 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 running. We're running in between the Arava, in between desert and fertile plains uh, and hill country. So in in verse ten, now we actually encounter a large number of these these giants, okay. And the first one we encounter are the Imim. The Imites used to live there. Those yeah. are giants? Yeah, apparently. These are people strong and numerous, as tall as the Anakim. That's what verse 10 says. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, so there's this other group of Anakim. Um, where, do we, where do we get the Anak, Anakim from, their history? From we think. Okay, not 100% sure, but I mean, it obviously says that there were giants at that time. And, uh, and so then we develop in other texts and other traditions the idea of these uh, angelic interference with humans creating these, these offspring. And there was a large number of them, okay, both before and after the flood, and we see them represented here. For some reason, they ended up settling around this, this region. And there's all kinds of reasons why that might be. Okay? Some of them are a bit more sinister than as others. I don't know which ones are true. Okay, uh, so these emim, okay, in verse 11, they say, just like the uh, anakim, they were considered refaim, ghosts, okay, or, or whatever. But the Moabites called them imim, which is a, uh, 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 do you know what the Hebrew is it? Correct, and it also means the same in Moabite, yes. Terror, horror. Horror. So some the, 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 the Moabites called them like they were just a terror. It was a horror to behold these people. Whatever they were, it scared the pants off uh, the Moabites. Rufaim was not ghosts, then it was giants as well. Giants as well, yeah. Goliath is called Rafa. That's right, the giant of Rafa. But the Moabites are the ones who call them the Emi. So then we get another group of people who used to live there in verse 12. The Horites, the Horim, they used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out and destroyed the Horites before them and settled in their place, just as Israel did in the land the Lord gave them as their possession. So this appears to be an insertion from somebody else okay, who's looking at the text and sort of adds this bit. So some of our English translations put these in brackets or parentheses to sort of to, to show this actually might not be part of the original speech. Okay? 
And Moses, or whoever includes this in verse 20, said that the Ammonites called them Zemzumites. Zemzumites, yeah, I know. Uh, they're Emites. Just so, the just so we don't get confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, uh, yeah. That's right. Because in Australia, you know, it's the Vegemites, okay? Yeah. And all those other. Marmites, you know, those, uh, and the Promites. And it gets pretty horrible but down there, okay? And it's all good on toast, though. Um, but it does show that both the descendants of Jacob and Esau both invade. Right? And they both destroy indigenous peoples. Right? Now, let's also remember not to take modern-day morality and superimpose it on the past. Right? We don't say, oh, invasions are bad, therefore let's reread the, re -read the Bible, all bad. Okay? This is, we have people invading each other, that is what people do. Okay? Um, and if you don't believe in God and you believe in evolution, then who cares? Might is right, just invade away happily and see what happens. Uh, but here we have a reference that Esau also to take his territory, had to invade. Okay? A lot of these gifts still had to be worked. Isn't that also an interesting thought? So, you know, we often think the gifts of the Spirit, and you get a gift from God, yet in the, in the Bible, you get given gifts, still got to work for it. We might actually have to keep working on our spiritual gifts. And not just sit around and think, oh, I'll just wait for God to give me the gift of healing. Mm. Might need to go to a doctor. <laughs> okay, the Lord said, uh, verse 13, Now get up and cross the Zared Valley. So we crossed. Um, in, 13, in verse 14, we get a, a, a time. Uh, 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zared Valley. And by then... The entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn. That number, 38, does that ring a bell for anybody? Don't worry, it didn't for me either, so I had to look it up. Whenever you see numbers in the Bible, it's always a good case of, oh, that's a number, that must be, that's got to be special. It occurs once in the New Testament. In this, in John chapter 5, when Jesus goes to the pools of, uh, for 38 years, yes. And you think, hmm. And, uh, and so we got 38 years to clean something out. And this guy had been in 38 years trying to get into this pool and, uh, and get himself cleaned up. So it's very interesting that John would, 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 would let that information slip in his gospel. Okay, so um, in verse 15, the Lord's hand was against them until they had completely been completely eliminated them from the camp. Okay, so we've had two things that God has done for his people. One, the Lord's hand is against them. And what was the other one, which we read earlier? the deputy authority as Moses to lead them. No, I'm not following you there. I mean, he continues. Yes. So on one hand, God was against them. He was waiting for them all to die. And what did Moses say 
On the other hand, right. you've been blessed. You've had to lack nothing. So on one hand, you are being blessed and you are lacking nothing. And on the other, I'm waiting for you to die. So you, there's both going on. Okay? So it's not always easy to turn around and read the Bible and look at it only from the one hand. Always encouraged. On the other hand, it also says this. So the same people that are being blessed, uh, in this case also the same people that God is working against, Okay, you're not going to be coming into the Holy Land. But I am going to be looking after you in all the other ways. That includes Moses, does it not? So even though God has said you're not coming in, Moses also still got his share of manna. He still got everything that he needed. Still got all his provision and his kids and his family and his household and his clothes didn't wear out. And he got to uh, talk to God and be in his presence. God didn't kick him away and say, don't ever come into my tabernacle again. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to think about that, you know, when we sin, God still cares. God still provides. God still looks after. God still is uh, taking care of us and our families. <clears throat> Verse 16. When the last of the fighting men have died, the Lord says, okay, now you are to pass by the region of Moab, and when you come to the Ammonites, don't harass them or prepare for war, for I will give you no possession of anything belonging to Ammon. Right? This is all over in uh, the Jordanian side, because I've given them as a possession. Okay? So uh, God is looking after other nations. And in verse 20, that too was considered a land of the Rephaim, okay? these giants. Who used to live there, but the but the Ammonites called them this ever really cool name, the Zamzumim. Uh, they were a strong people, numerous and just as tall as the Anakim, and the Lord destroyed them from before the Ammonites, who drove them out and settled in their place. What did we just read? Think about that sentence. The Lord destroyed them from before the. Ammonites. So what was God doing? He was acting on behalf of non-Israelites. So not only has God saved people from Egypt, smashed those gods and and started leading and guiding, but he's also gone to completely another group of people and said, I'm going to help you fight them. So God is actually acting with people. We have no idea whether the Ammonites actually know who this God is. They may do. They may have people like Melchizedek. They may have actually priests who can talk to him. They may have have said to themselves, okay, guys, God is going for us and we're going to go and defeat these giants. Or not. But the point is, God can work for for other nations, which is a good thought, which means God is working for the Chinese. And he's working for the Russians. He's working for the... The Kiwis. Oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but he is, is he not? Yeah. Yes. I also have that interesting statement in uh, Amos where he says, I also brought the Philistines from Kaftor. You know, I brought, you know, yep. you guys from Egypt, but it was I who brought the Philistines in as well. Yes. That was my work. That was my work. Yes, yeah, so he's leading not just the children of Israel, he's leading a whole bunch of other people. Which is actually quite a humbling thought when you think about it. Yes, you go like, oh, God's looking after me and God's blessing me. Careful, he's also blessing a lot of other people. Mm. Love your neighbor neighbor because because God's loving him probably just as much. Okay, so that's an interesting verse that God has defeated another bunch of giants for another bunch of people. Okay, 
The Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau who lived in Seir when he destroyed the Horites before them and he drove them out and lived in their place to this day. So same, same concept. Uh, as for the Arvites, the Avavim, who live in the villages as far as Gaza, the Cathorite, Cathorim, coming out from Cator, he destroyed them and settled in their place. Okay, And as uh, Neville mentioned, he brings in the Philistines. Is Gaza then still Gaza now? Yeah, Gaza's always been Gaza. Ah, yep. okay, so the same land. Yeah, actually, in the, in the allotment division of allotments, it's never been, it was meant to be Israel's. Although Jews actually have been kicked out of Gaza five times in hu human history. Last time by themselves. Mm, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, Romans did it, Greeks did it, uh, Egyptians did it, and Israel did it. So, yeah. And if there's anything to do with history and repeats itself, most likely somehow they'll show up again. Yeah, it just seems to be a thing that happens. Anyway, now we come to the defeat of a very interesting king. Okay, but at this time, at this stage, uh, when we um, uh, have a look at Numbers 21, we will not make a mention of Balak and Balaam. So, everyone remember what happened in that, that event? Because uh, King hired this uh, guy to curse Israel. Right. He was refusing, but after he told that king how to get Israel through adultery. Right, so who's Balak? Right, he's the king of Moab. And what has God said to, about Moab? They will never come to. No, he said, don't go and kill them. Right? That's what we've just read. In, our, in Moses' telling of the story, he doesn't mention any about this don't, don't ever marry Moabs, don't do anything. He just says, don't hurt them. Completely missing the story that actually, wait a second, there was this nasty Moabite king who hired a, yeah. a, a prophet to go and curse us. Um, what, was the, what was the prophet's name? Okay, and he was? He was not the priest of the Lord. He was prophet, but he was from not Israel. Correct, he was a non Israelite prophet. Yes. So we discover that not only do we have non-Israelite prophets, but God is also fighting and moving non-Israelite nations. Yeah. We don't know anything about their story, but we have hints that God has been very active in his creation. He hasn't been a hands-off God where I'll just wait for hundreds of years until a small group of Jewish people finally can breed up to several million and I'll start working with them. No, he's been doing stuff all throughout creation because God so loved the... World. Not just a bit of it, the whole darn thing. Yes, and we get glimmers of it, little, little hints as uh, the people of God encountered them. But just because it doesn't say what's going on outside of Israel, that, we, that nothing was going on, something was going on, and God was involved. And, uh, and oddly enough, even speaking through non-Israelite prophets. And in that case, it, it involved uh, uh, Moabite uh, women, which didn't work out so well, hence the uh, rule we shouldn't, uh, shouldn't have any, any dealings with them. But in this reading, in Deuteronomy, it skips it. Okay, we, don't, we don't end up. But we do get the passage about the defeat of uh, Sihon. So now we set out across the Arnon River, where, uh, where, we, where we see, I have given into your hand... This is God speaking. Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his country. Begin to take possession of it and engage him in battle. Okay, so what's the command? Go for it. Go for it. 
Alright, yep, charge. Okay. This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and they will tremble and they will be in anguish because of you. Okay, so we're going to, uh, the rumor and reputation of Israel now will abound. Okay, and uh, that includes us too, yes? Okay, the, the, the rumor and the, and, the, and the reputation of the church um, makes some people scared and then they react negatively. Uh, in some cases, they come against us quite strongly. Okay. Uh, I just read a, an article in um, about China that they've now forbidden Christian funerals. Wow. Which means, uh, so if you're in mainland China and you die, you had better not have a priest come and, and give a, a prayer. Because they'll, they'll stop it and you'll end up in trouble. They're doing, even, they, they won't even let dead people uh, have a Christian uh, funeral. Okay, Why? Something about it scares the pants off the uh, rulership there. Okay? It, there's something about our movement. There's something about the light that is in us that scares people. It shouldn't, should it? I mean, we should, they shouldn't be scared. Should be. It's right. It should be. It should be like, oh, I can't wait to get some more Christians around me. They're such nice yeah, people. Exactly. But somehow that's not the way it works. Anyway, here. God is saying you know, to, to Moshe, okay, buddy, I'm going to start getting... Everyone's now going to be afraid of you. You're not going to be afraid of them anymore. They're going to be afraid of you. And, uh, and I'm going to uh, give you this, this, this king. So go out and get him. All right, good. That's the command. Verse 26. From the desert of uh, Kedemot, I sent messages to the king of Heshbon, offering peace and saying, what's the problem? What's the, what's the obvious issue, guys? We well, were just told to go and destroy them. Yes. And he's, he's saying, oh, let's go and make peace. Yep. Within the matter of, of two verses, all of a sudden, we have completely disobeyed. So God says, I am giving Sihon into your hand. Go engage him in battle. Sounds like a great idea. Send messages of peace. Let's make peace. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, but that's what it what it does. Okay, we are told not to. Uh, uh, we're told to, to go and engage him in battle, but Moses does the complete opposite. It actually instructs for peace. Let us pass through your country. We will stay in the main road. We will not turn aside to the right or the left. Sell us food, water to drink. Why bother? We get it for free, but uh, but we'll pay. This let us pass through on foot because our foot doesn't wear, doesn't wear out. We're good at this stuff. Yep. Okay, this is in my version. It's a very special version you might be reading. Okay, so in verse 29, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir, the Moabites who live in Ar, they did the same, apart from this Balak king. Okay, we'll forget about him. Yep. Um, everything's been going well, okay, until we cross the Jordan into the land that our God is giving us. We're actually on our way. We kind of stopped it the first time, but we're coming through now. Um, and so what... what what did God said for them to do? Yeah. Engage in battle. What are we trying to do? Have a peace treaty. <laughs> so what's God's reaction? Hard in the heart. Okay. Yeah. And so God's like, what? What are you doing this peace treaty? No, no, no. Get him. Right. So to make sure, I mean, that, 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 that a fight does come about, but Sihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass for 
the Lord, our God. Okay, uh, the, uh, the, the Lord, so your God, Elohe, Elohecha, Elohim Elohecha, the Lord your God, Adonai Elohecha, the occurring so many times in this verse. Your God did this. Right? So to this very personal uh, God hardens the hearts so that you have to actually fight this guy. Okay? Made his spirit stubborn, heart obstinate, hardened his heart so that he, in order to give him into your hands as he has now done. Um, which is an interesting theological concept, isn't it? And you end up with all kinds of people going, uh, uh, what does it mean for God to harden Pharaoh's heart? What does it mean for God to harden Sihon's heart? Heart. Doesn't this guy have free will? Yes, of course. And you have some very interesting little commentaries about uh, what what they think that that means. Well, what do you think it means? After they their that's also true. Yes, because because initially God wanted. Said if that's how you want it, then let me help you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you what, what do you think it means for God to harden someone's heart? I'm not going to say I have the answer, but because I don't. The Egyptians, when they uh, they believed that, I think they would cross a river and then they put their heart on a scale, and if it was uh, rock or heavy, it would. If they were evil, it would. Ah, yeah, that's in their underworld scenario, isn't it? Their death scenario. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think Moses brings up this, you know, over when he talks about people's hard hearts. And I know. So I think it's like being obstinate or stubborn about. Something. Something. Like where Could you're be. not going to change your mind. Right. You're going to stick to whatever you had initially thought. <laughs> this is kind of taking a very unreasonable course of action. Yeah. Like Pharaoh could probably see that his magicians just were no match to what Moses and Aaron were doing. Yep. But he couldn't get away from wanting to get back at them, even though he's going to lose every time. Yep. So that's the hardening of the heart. Make, makes them blind to what is the reasonable course of action. Yep. And many of us, actually, are blind to the reasonable course of action, aren't we? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's uh, more motive and pride that get okay. kind of... I think God really I think causes us to wrestle with our motives and our pride and once that gets the best of us, I don't believe there's any return. And we're either, uh, even if we're prideful in the ways of God, we're blinded and deceived and take many with us. Yeah, um, we'll good tradition. Yeah, because uh, um, Sihon's going to wipe out his entire fam uh, community. Yes, we just take it all with us. And I just think God is a God of motive. And uh, what's in your heart? And I don't know if we can really tell what was up with motive or with Pharaoh or with anybody else, but usually it comes down to what's really in our heart, what's our desire. But I think with Pharaoh, I think after all those uh, plagues, I think at some point, he, before the 10, he, he wanted them gone. Yeah. But I think for, for God to show his greatness and what he did for the Israelites, he hardened his heart so he can 
keep going to the tenth play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to stick the course. I need, you I, need, know. I need them all done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like the story of St. Paul because it seemed like his heart was really hardened to yeah. the way to Christ. And yet God at some point just stepped in mm-hmm. and dealt with that hard heart. Could be. The um uh What's so special about this king that God needs him out of the picture? I mean, the text doesn't say. So Jewish commentaries you know, ask that question. It's like, why does suddenly the Bible need to spend a, a, a large amount of time talking about the defeat of two guys, mm-hmm. um, Sichon and Og? Because uh, we, we do this in... Um, Numbers 21. So in Numbers 21, just having a quick read there. So after the bronze snake, and just uh, just before Balak, summoning, um, you get the account of the defeat of Og, Sihon and Og. So it says Israel sent messages to say to Sihon, king of the Amorim. So he's the king of the Amorites. Let us pass through your country. This is in uh, this is Numbers 21, verse 21. Let us pass through your country. We will not turn aside into any field or vineyard, drink water from any well. We will travel through the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army, marched out into the wilderness against Israel. He reached Jahaz. He fought against Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword, took over his land. Um... From the Arnon to the Jabok, as far as the, as the Amorim, because their border was fortified. Which is a different retelling to what uh, Deuteronomy says. Here, we don't invade Ammon. Why? Because their border is fortified. In Deuteronomy, we don't invade Ammon because God gave them their land. Okay? So, Deuteronomy is having a few interesting comments to say about the Torah. They've got big cities, yes, but that's not actually the real reason you stopped. You stopped because actually that belongs to them. And it was never going to be be yours. Um, But for some reason, this, this, both Deuteronomy and Numbers, uh, have got to tell the story of the defeat of Og and and, uh, and Sihon. And so the uh, Jewish Midrash, you know, always a a good, good Midrash, um, they come up with the, this story that these guys are actually major descendants of angels. So they even rebelling the rebelling ones. They even give you the name of their parents. So um, if you read the Book of Enoch and Jubilees, then you actually get a list of all the names of the angels that fell, mm-hmm. and uh, they pick one. I think it's Achia. Okay, and then they say he was an angel and his descendants were Sihon and Og. And that's the reason why we definitely have to get these guys done. Uh, we can't have these guys and their mixed blood around. So um, I don't care what peace treaty you're going to have, I'm going to break it. We're fighting. And, uh, and, and so you actually have this intervention here by the Lord to make sure that these guys are done in. And they are. Uh, so in verse uh, 30, uh, 31, it says, The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his country over to you. 
now begin to conquer and possess his land. So they actually start possessing territory even before the conquest of Canaan. They actually start possessing territory on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, because when we actually read the first part of Deuteronomy, how big was the land God was giving them? Yeah, it was big. Big. Yeah, it was big. Between the Nile and the Euphrates, yeah. yeah. And you go, uh, I mean, it could be debatable whether that word Nile is there, whether the river Egypt is actually something in the middle of the Sinai. We're not 100% sure. But, um, Euphrates is definitely there. Definitely there. <laughs> Euphrates, it's hard to miss that one. Okay? And somewhere in the middle is, is this territory, and so they actually possess it. They actually start owning stuff. Um, even before they get in, into Canaan. Okay? So Sihon and all his army come out to meet us at the Battle of Jahaz. The Lord our God delivered him into over to us. Now we don't get the account like we did of um, Amalek, where Joshua fights and you know this kind of stuff. There's no uh, detail of that battle. It's just we get them. Okay? We smite them, and uh, together with his sons and his whole army, so we definitely got to wipe out his lineage, Okay, uh, why? Not a hundred percent sure. Although Jewish com commentaries say, you know, his blood's tainted by by angelic blood, and you've got to get rid of it. Okay, so at this time we took all his towns and we completely destroyed them. And um, I mean, the Hebrew there was uh, necharam, uh, which cheram in modern Hebrew just means excommunicated. But um, uh, in Biblical Hebrew, do you know REA? It means a curse, and it also means uh, plunder. It means a plunder? Yes. Okay, so they take, like, like Shalal? Yes. Yes, okay, so they, they take everything. So they take all these towns and they completely destroy him. Men, women, children. It seems a little <coughs> nasty, doesn't it? But that's what they do. And we left no survivors. Mm. Wipe them all out. Okay, and, it's, and that sometimes creates a theological problem for some Christians. It really does. Okay, I've been around the world, like many of you guys, and I've encountered uh, Christians who will say, you know, I really don't like this God. I can't see the same God being the God who wipes out men, women, and children, and the one that's presented to me in the New Testament. And so they will... And uh, ignoring verses in Hebrews like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, they will switch and they will almost end up by that early heresy. What was it called? Markianism. Yes, the, the sort of idea that there are two gods. The, the Hebrew Bible presents one God. That's not my God. And the New Testament presents another God. That's the true God. What about Revelation? Yes, I know. Get to Revelation. Let's wipe out everybody. Okay, yeah. Two-thirds of the planet somehow somehow disappears. Yes, God gets very violent uh, in that book. Because as Hebrews says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And at the same time, as God has been lovingly caring for a rebellious people, has he not? Yes, he has. His love endures forever. There is also that part of him that says that these people can't stay anymore. There's something about them, and they need to go. It might be that the remes of those Jewish commentaries, that there was angelic blood here, and that had to be wiped out. It's very possible. I don't know. But um, they are wiped out. Yeah, so Jesus, uh, you know, when he confronted the uh, demoniac, you know, 
they were saying to him, you know, have you come to persecute us before the time? Yeah. You know, it was a job that Jesus was going to do. Yeah. And uh, some parts of the Christian church, where I was brought up, will be Jesus make a mild. Right. And they don't see the other aspect. The conquering king, the lion of Judah. Yes, yeah. the, the one who will defeat the enemy with, yeah. with the sword from his mouth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, then. Yes, he is that one too. But they do take plunder, okay, and uh, the shalal, and, uh, and in particularly livestock. And so later on, uh, or earlier on, in, uh, I think it's Leviticus, there are some rules about what you do for with war booty. Uh, you have to you have to give the soldiers of God have to get their their pay, and so when you when you wipe out everybody, you take the livestock and you start divvy it up between the people who actually fought. Okay, so um, uh, they do that here, or or you know as that expre expression, the workers deserve their wage. Okay, um, and so they capture that, and then uh, in verse thirty six. Uh, the, the describes uh, the, the uh, extent of their victory from uh, a wall to the rim of the Arnon and from, and from the town in the gorge, even as far as Gilead. Not one of those towns was too strong for us. The Lord, our God, uh, gave them all. But in accordance with the command of the Lord your God, you did not encroach on any of the land of the Ammonim. Okay? Whereas in, in Numbers, it says it was because the two heavily fortified. Uh, here, it says it was because it was actually God's command. Neither uh, the land along the course of the Jabbok or the surrounding towns. So Israel takes its first possession okay, uh, in, a, in a defeat, even though initially they didn't want to, okay, which is interesting. A direct command from God, go fight. Direct disobedience. Let's make peace. Strange. But yet, God makes sure that they win this one. So there might have been something a little more to the story uh, than, that we, than the text is telling us. For whatever reason, God needed these people off. All right. Any other questions in the final remaining moment? So some people observe... That, or suggest that God had never intended them to, to take possession and dwell in the land east of the Jordan. Mm. But it, it doesn't say that, and clearly the, um, the allocation of the land for the three tribes on the, on the <coughs> side of the Jordan. Yes, and they will actually be given in this portion, yeah. Yeah, in, this, uh, in, this, in this book. Well, this label of Amorites is significant in that it was the iniquity of the Amorites that by this time was had been fulfilled. Yeah. God had waited for them to reach the Zenith of yeah. their uh, abominations, and it was now time to eliminate the Amorites mm -hmm. altogether. Mm -hmm. It says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Which verse is that one? That's verse 16 of Genesis 15. Yes, so, 15 16. so in Genesis 15, 16, it declares that they're not quite ready. Uh, not, the Amorites are not full. In Numbers, it says they were too strong. They were fortified. In Deuteronomy, it says, I've given them their territory. <laughs> um, and you get them, okay. But they eventually get them. Okay. Um, a lot of modern Christians say life is sacred. But when I read the Old Testament, it's really what God wants. 
There's no rule. Where is there? Okay. So the question is, is there a rule? Yeah, okay. Is that the question? The question is, is the contradiction, it seems to me, between modern Christians who say every life is sacred and in the Old Testament, we don't read that. Right. So in the modern argument, every life is sacred, it's often used in the context of there's no such thing as a just war, which, you know, basically then advocates for complete pacifism, which would mean that we shouldn't have ever fought against Hitler, right? We should have just let him do his thing. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the Christians have wrestled with this concept of a just war. Uh, so have Jewish people. <laughs> I mean, they've obviously been fighting all this stuff. The, the first time they're commanded to go out and wipe somebody out, their first response is, no, 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 let's do peace. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. And, uh, oh, so you don't have the answer? Absolutely not. <laughs> I do believe it's clear, though, that throughout the sweep of history, as portrayed in Scripture, that there is there's progressive revelation. God deals with people where they're at in a certain situation. He moves his plan forward. I think we have a lot of revelation that's happened since then, that God is not going to work this way, building the kingdom of heaven. It's very clear through the yeah. teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. We, we don't, uh, this, in his kingdom, we don't fight. He's no part of that in a very temporal military tribunal. Right. He's not of this world. No, I would agree with you 100%. My, my servants would fight, implying in parentheses, however. Right. They're not. Correct. It's I would agree with you, Ari. But I still don't, would not say that that means that advocates pacifism. Well, and I don't think you would either. You have to be careful here, though, because there are intertwining and conflicting kingdoms all around us. Right. And we have to be very clear and very single-eyed for the kingdom that we occupy and our, our supreme leader and example in all of this. Yes, we're part, you know, we're Israelis, we're Australians, we're Americans, and whatnot. those are very important identities, and we never leave those, but they are secondary. And if and when there are conflicts involved here, our, our allegiances have to be very clear as to where our where our, our supreme allegiance is to. Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah, Jesus also says to pay the, the temple tax. Right, and I think that's what I think that's what yeah. he's describing. Now, yeah. now, if the, you know someone comes along and wants to construct you into his army as a disciple of Christ, you you have an issue of personal conscience and community conscience that you have to deal with. And I don't say it's clear-cut one way or the other. It depends on who, what, where, how. And I would never tell anybody what to do with it. you got to decide yourself these kinds of things. We have our historical things, but we're looking forward as well. Are uh, all wars fought by a particular nation just? Uh, I think that's a very difficult... Uh, it's very hard. A very difficult thesis to justify. Yeah. Well, no. Centurion, if you if he asked you to carry something, right, right. carry it yeah. two miles. It gets, it gets, it gets. <laughs> yes, it, it gets unbelievably complicated. Except we, as Ari is acknowledging or saying, and I would think we'd all agree, our first highest allegiance is to the King yeah. of Kings. Yeah. And, and uh, but there are still nations, and there are still wars. Yeah, uh, I was in the military. Defence Forces for 21 years and I didn't come to faith until I was 28 so I was in the service. So 
Lord, do you want me to stay on this, you know? Uh, and very shortly after I read, you know, when the soldiers came, they asked, you know, what must we do? They weren't told to leave the army, be a pacifist or acting like that, but it says, be content with your bed. Don't rob by violence, no, be it's content right. with your bed. So there's a, I do see that there is a very, uh, a need. In Ireland we have a defence force, in Israel we have a defence force as well. And we can't allow outsiders come in and rob and plunder our families. I mean, would you stand up for your family, you know? Well, we're, I, I, I would suggest that, that we're mixing two different issues here. Mm. There is definitely a kingdom of this earth. There is the, the king or the magistrate, they bear swords the for good reasons. Yeah. God uses them to punish evildoers and also to keep the peace so that we may well in peace. These are the biblical perspectives today. But we, we are not part of that. No. We are not, that is not our kingdom. No, and and as a disciple of Christ, the, in the issues of defending the kingdom, I will not defend it with a weapon. I will not use a weapon against someone that comes against me as a disciple of Christ. I can't. No, but what you're doing is defending your family. See? Yes, yes, he's not, he's not mixing the kingdoms here. He's not yeah. defending the family uh, in the name of Jesus with a gun. He's defending his family because he's defending his family. Yeah. Um, by the way, I would also say God would tell you to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I personally would not say, uh, you know, when the robber comes in, the thieves kill and destroy. No, just let them kill, rape and murder. I would say, no, no, I think you're going, you, you defend. Yeah. Um, in this case, this, this in relation to the, the temporal, the, the sword of the magistrate, in this case for God, is Israel. And he's using them to wipe out this Sihon, whoever he is. Yeah. There's something about him that God needs him not on the planet. Yeah. And uh, could God have done it himself? Yeah. Absolutely. Heart attack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Why does he need to why does he need to use Israel? I actually don't know. Maybe there were many learning experiences for Israel during this battle. I don't know. Um, why does David have to fight Goliath? Why couldn't God just kill Goliath? There are, there are, I think, also that teaches us that you know, when it comes for time for us to face our giants, sometimes, yes, the Lord is with us. We still got to fight. And, uh, and, I, and, I don't, and I think when David has mentioned it a few times, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is free, yes. The faith is a gift, yes. But it's not opposed to an effort. Not a, and, uh, all your faith needs to be tested once it's all over. It's been right, we see that, and in the Hebrew Bible, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. To me, I think this paragraph shows the Lord as a general in chief, leading the spiritual battle all the way yeah. to decide which land he wants. Because God brought Abraham in to this land of the promise for two purposes to get the land and to bring forth the descendant, which soon will be coming to the David. Sure. Then Jesus will be entered in. Yeah. So Jesus turned into the good land. 
Sure. Which is hidden in the Old Testament. Right, but we're not even in the good land yet. Yes. We're, uh, we're, we're, ta the we're taking possession of something outside the land. They're fighting the battle, and the source of rebellion is darkness and death. So God has to deal with the death and rebellions. As well. Yeah. So this is the land and the land and the descendants. As I see from this this I think human life is precious, but Jesus says the body counts for nothing. So when you're killed right. it's 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 complicated. Yeah, it's tough for us because we've you know, we're in a physical body. Right. But we're also spiritual. Yeah. And, and Jesus right. says the body counts for nothing, the spirit counts it for everything. Right. Now these and are, it's you know, there's people that live five years, ten years, twenty years, a yeah. hundred years, but the end result is the yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's I am so glad I'm never in the in the position like a general that has to order someone to attack, knowing yeah, that people are going to perish. Yes. Physically. Yes, physically they will die. Yeah. We, we also tend to overlook the very foundational and ultimate biblical truth that there, there is a resurrection coming for both Everybody. the righteous and the unrighteous. That's true. The, yeah. the resurrection will be universal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all these people here... Coming back. <laughs> it's just a probationary, temporary arrangement to figure out the next stage. The next bit, yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah good point. We'll, we'll see Sihon again. <laughs> who's, who's the big guy? <laughs> I don't think so. So, okay, so next week we tackle another big guy and, uh, and then we actually start dividing up the initial part of the territory. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.